Good morning. I, uh, I like that phrase, all in. In fact, that's the title of our uh, series over the next few weeks. And we're going to be talking about uh, where God wants us to be, uh, how committed we are to God over against where we really are. The, uh, I started thinking about, you know, how, what level of commitment we're on. Ever go to a timeshare uh, uh, advertising event? I took advantage of the privilege of traveling to Myrtle Beach for a four-day, three-night stay right by the ocean in a luxury resort so they could tell me about their timeshare program. And if you want to maybe give away a child, you can buy one. But, you know, they go through all their uh, uh, story and, and, and they get to a place where they stop and say, what level of commitment are you willing to make today? You know, do you want to be right by the ocean or do you want a couch in your kind? I mean, there's all sorts of levels of commitment. And I think that's a question that God continues to ask each of us every day. Would you agree? What level of commitment... Are you willing to make to me? Those folks who determine, you know what, I'm going to cast caution aside, I'm going to jump all in, I'm going to go all the way, are the kind of people who, with their very lives, honor and their service God. Uh, we've got a picture of what it looks like to be all in. Let's take a moment to look at it. <laughs> Now, I'm not sure if I would have got into that situation, but can you imagine a church where everyone who's a part of that congregation has decided within themselves to go all in? Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine uh, the lives that we would touch, the people whom we could serve, the ministry that we could do? Can you imagine if all of us today said, you know what, I'm going to do what I was asked to do when I trusted Jesus, and that's make him Lord in my life. I'm going to commit myself fully to him. I'm going to carry out everything that he asked me to do. I'm going to live in his will. I'm going to be all in. Can you imagine what we could do if every single one of us said, at the top of my priority list is my faith. Now, there are lots of reasons and excuses that we don't go all in, aren't there? Uh, busyness. Doesn't matter how old or young we are, whether we're working or retired. We're busy, aren't we? There are things that we could spend our time doing. We have schedules, and sometimes our schedule is a little more important in our lives than what we're doing for God. Others of us aren't all in because we're really kind of lazy, or maybe a better word is apathetic. We're not as excited as we should be about kingdom things. We've got other things that fill, uh, fill our minds and fill our hearts, and as a result of those things in our life, this lower rung where God is is a place of apathy, place of apathy. And so there's a great big gap between those who are all in and those who are partway there. 
And some of you aren't in at all. And there's a great big gap between where God wants us to be and where we really are. A great big gap. So I want to talk today about how you can move from a place of apathy, from a place of where you're lukewarm and half-hearted, a place where you are kind of got one foot in the door, to a place of absolute intimacy with God. A place of deep and abiding faith. A place of hope. A place of peace. A place of joy. And over the next month, we're going to look at some biblical characters who by their very lives made choices that caused them to be all in. God didn't give them an option. And they were completely obedient to him. The first character is found in in Genesis chapter 6. His name is Noah. Genesis chapter 6. Turn with me there or look at the screen and we're going to read his story. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Now it would appear to me just from this reading that Noah did not have a book with names for boys in it, did he? Just a just a kind of an aside there. And 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 God goes on to say that the earth was corrupt, the earth was filled with violence, and down in verse twelve, had corrupted all flesh, had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said, Noah, this is enough. The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cast it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height, 30 cubits. Now I want to stop and just kind of show you how big this ship is, this ark that Noah built. Now it's not as big as the Titanic or the Queen Mary, but it was bigger than any other ship built before the year 1884. It was huge. It was uh, 450 feet long. It was 45 feet deep. 75 feet wide, uh, the equivalent of 36 tennis courts if you stood on the deck, or, or 20 basketball courts. Uh, this room is about as large as a basketball court. So 20 of this room on the deck. It was an amazing uh, undertaking any way you look at it for the technology of that time. The ark was made with gopher wood. There were rooms in it. 
Noah was asked to cover it inside and outside with pitch. Make a window in the ark. It'll have three decks. And behold, God said in verse 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters in the earth. I'm going to destroy everything under heaven, all flesh which breathes, everything on the earth will die. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you'll go into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife. And every living thing of all flesh will bring two of every sort into the ark. Every animal, two of them. Everybody here understand why they had two? Just, just want to be sure. Of the birds of their kind, of animals of their kind, of every creeping thing of its kind, two will come to keep them alive. Take for yourself the food you need, gather it to yourself, so you'll have food for you and the animals. And here's the last line. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. He did it all. He was all We're almost together on that. Noah was what? You got it. There's some things I want you to see about this story that maybe you've never thought about before. Uh, And and, and I hope that will bring encouragement to your life. Uh, We're going to just start with kind of a personal question. If uh, you're not all in with God, what are you holding out? Because you need to personalize what I'm talking about today. If, if, if you're not, as Noah was, completely committed to the task, if, if, if you're not all in, then why not? Why not? And I wonder if you could like maybe pinpoint something that keeps you from being that person that God would have you to be. It might be a sin in your life, that a pet sin that you hold on to. And God's saying, for you to be all in, you're going to have to get rid of that. It might be a relationship in your life that's negative and harmful. It, it, it might be a job that, that keeps you uh, maybe with food on the table, but it breaks you down every day. It burdens your heart every day. Uh, it, it might be that you're just... You know, as we talked about before, that you want to be all in, but there's not a burning desire. Rather, there's an apathy in your relationship with God. And, and, And you just need to get on fire. You just need to be excited. You need to move from a place of apathy to a place of service. What is it today in your life where you've drawn the line and said, God, you can have what's on this side But over here on this side, I'm going to hold on to it. When you hold out on God, when you hold out on God, you miss out. You know that? You miss out. Because God has designed your life to be a certain way. God has planned your life out. And when you say, God, no, I'm not going to follow that plan. I'm not going to walk, not going to follow you then the things that you would be blessed for by doing, the things that would bring you joy and contentment and peace, the things that would allow God 
to use you in a marvelous way just don't get done. When you're not all in, you negate many of the blessings that God has for you. When you're not a participant, when you're not obedient, when you're not using the wisdom of God, when you're falling into sin, you negate the blessings that God has for you. And you say, what's my motivation? Not only the blessings of God, but God has never held out on you. Amen? God has never held out on you. I want you to think about things that you've prayed for, things that you were blessed with, healing, power. I want you to think about all of the good things that God's done in your life. I want you to consider the ultimate thing that God's done in your life. God could have held out His Son, couldn't He? God could have not given us the free gift of salvation. The cross might not have ever happened if God hadn't been all in. So my motivation for what I do that's obedient to God has always been, here's what God's done for me first. Here's what God's done for me first. Now in relationship to Noah, if Noah hadn't been all in, what happens to the story that God painted? Now, I, I don't really like the way I said this, so I want you to be careful how you write it down. I'm well aware that if Noah hadn't been all in, that that wouldn't have been the end of God's story, okay? But it would have been the end of this particular story, this particular plan, this particular model of redemption for the world. God decided, I've looked all over the world, and there's no one good but Noah, and so I'm going to destroy the world. But for God to be able to do that and not start all over again, Noah had to be all in. He had to be obedient. And did you see what it said in the Scripture? When God began to consider the world and realized that the world basically was a hellish place, it had become like hell, absent almost of anything good. His creation reaped. When God began to consider the world, the Bible says that it grieved the heart of God. It grieved the heart of God. That, that it's come to this. Now, I know that all of us in our mind's eye have a different picture of what God looks like. There are some of us who see God as a dictator. Some of us who see God as, as someone who desires over and over again to discipline us, to, to look at us and, and, and say, you know what, I'm going to get them. They've done wrong, I'm going to punish them. Others of us see God as a benevolent, gracious, giving, loving, heavenly Father. But fairly often, do you, uh, or do you ever think about God and his emotions? That, that what you do has an effect on his emotions. That when you're living and pleasing and loving and obedient, when you're all in, it's pleasing to the heart of God. But when you turn your back on him, the Bible says it's grievous. It's grievous. We've read in other places in Scripture about other emotions that God had. God was pleased 
God was angry. We read about the wrath of God. But it seems to me that all of these emotions are secondary to this word, this idea, this emotion, grief. You ever thought about what a powerful, powerful, powerful force grief is? I know some people who are angry, but generally they get over it in a little while, don't they? I don't know anybody that that stays mad all the time. I've met a couple people who were close. But anger is kind of something that comes and goes. Uh, The joy or, or being pleased with someone kind of comes and goes. But grief lingers, doesn't it? It's a process. It's, it's, it's sometimes impossible to move past. And the grief that God felt about his creation was so overwhelming that he said, I'm going to have to start over because I can't get past this feeling. You know, if you're having a difficult time understanding God and his relationship with his, his children... All you have to do is think about your relationship with your kids. When, when they're born, we, we have a plan for them, don't we? Uh, we've already decided in our hearts and minds, you know, man, I would like my boy to be a baseball player or, or a doctor. I'd like my daughter to be a debutante or a doctor. Uh, you know, we, we have all these great hopes and aspirations for our kids and and. And God has those same hopes and aspirations for us. When they mess up, when they fail, it bothers us. There's there's no more uh, heart-rendering conversation than to have a conversation with a mom or a grandma whose kids aren't living up to her expectations just tough. And so I think we can begin to understand why when God looked down at the earth and saw all of these people who he lovingly created, who he wanted to claim as children, and they weren't living up to their potential, they weren't being who they should be in God. Matter of fact, it had gotten so bad that the world had been consumed by evil. And the Bible said that broke. The heart of God. And I'm not sure that it's in the way that we would expect, are you? Because there are kind of a couple different ways to do this. And and I think that we put a lot of emphasis on the first. What are the things that we do? What are the sins we commit that grieve the heart of God? And the first are what we're going to call today sins of commission. Now, if I were to ask you to tell me your latest and greatest sin today, here's what I think you would say. Well, I got up this morning and I said a bad word. Uh, Last night I did a few things that I shouldn't have done. Uh, I snapped at my spouse. Yada, yada, yada. You would name something that you did, right? Amen? When I asked that question, I go, your sin came to your mind. Was it something you did? And certainly Noah makes, or God makes reference to stuff that was happening in the world at that time. Sin was rampant. Evil had consumed the world. But 
he also talks about what wasn't happy. And I almost believe what breaks the heart of God even more are things that we don't do that we should do. Amen? We aren't all in. It breaks the heart of God. We aren't excited about His kingdom. It breaks the heart of God. We aren't heartbroken for lost people. It breaks the heart of God. We, we aren't doing the things that God designed our life for. We, we keep not going, not doing, not telling, not giving. We hold things out and back and determine with our efforts, energy, our time, our treasure to let God down. We don't get all in. Sins of omission. Now let's just consider the plight of Noah for just a little while and how difficult it was for him to say, I'm all in. In case you think you have a tougher situation. Because that's what you start to think, isn't it? Preacher wants me to be all in. Preacher wants me to take the next step to obedience. Preacher wants me to live more in step with God. Be more intimate with God. Preacher wants me to get saved. Preacher wants me to make him Lord. And that's just not easy for me. Well, think about what happened with Noah. First of all, God asked him to do something that was completely unprecedented. There was no track record for building an ark. And so Noah determined that he had enough faith in God to know that even though it seemed crazy, he was going to get busy building an ark. Now, have you heard this news, unless you've been under a rock somewhere, that our friends at the Creation Museum are building an ark? Have you heard that? I don't expect that they plan to sail it. But you know where they're building the ark at? Dry Ridge. They're giving God a challenge, aren't they? Did you ever think about that? That's kind of funny, isn't it? They're building an ark in Dry Ridge. And you know what I expect is going to happen? Is that every person that drives down I-75, that's going to catch their eye, don't you think? And they're going to say, man, that's crazy. Why are those people doing that? They're doing it to show what it means to be all in. To show about a man or tell a story of a man who is all in. But most of the world won't catch that. Now, multiply that a hundred times and you'll get a little bit of the, the junk, the ridicule that Noah had to face. What was happening was unprecedented. He had an audience that watched him build an ark basically in the middle of the desert and they ridiculed him unmercifully. Over and over again, Noah, the only man who thought that God was important, took the junk from other people. You ever suffer and face ridicule for what you believe? Folks ever say to you, why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you talk to me about the Bible? Why do you wear a cross around your neck? Why is it obvious that you're different? Do you ever face ridicule? Noah 
did something completely unprecedented. There was no blueprint. There was no plan. God laid it out for him. He got busy building. He found what he needed, and he did what God told him to do in the face of great ridicule. Now I want us to get real practical. How many of you have been to the zoo, the Cincinnati Zoo? As of last night at 10 o'clock, there were 1,896 animals dwelling at the zoo. I'm not sure if there have been any births or deaths since then, but let's go with that number, right? 1896. There was enough room on this ship, on this ark that Noah built, for 45,000 animals. That's about 22 times what are at the zoo. Now, when you pull up outside the zoo, it's kind of hard to find now, isn't it? But when you pull up outside the zoo, what do you smell? When you get inside the zoo, what do you smell? What do you see? You see lots of people working in a stinky place. And it's a good place. I'm not down on the zoo. I mean, all of you should go. But I want you to picture 22 times more animals. There are about 700 people that work at the zoo. Noah goes on the ship with eight people with the possibility of a huge huge number of animals. How long are they on there? 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, that's a lot of work. How many of you have a dog that's a lot of work? Can you imagine how much, how much feeding, how much caretaking, the fights they had to break up to keep one animal from eating another one? Can you imagine? The ark was not a cruise ship, guys. Those 40 days seemed like 40 years. 40 years. And Noah was all in for every moment of every day. Now, I believe that Noah was praying like nobody's prayed before or since for the water to go down. Amen? And I believe when the door sprang open, he screamed out a hallelujah that if there would have been anybody left on the earth, everyone would have heard it. It was a time commitment, an energy commitment. It wasn't easy. And here's what I want to tell you. And I want you to understand this. God's not going to ask you to do stuff that's in your comfort zone. God's going to stretch you. He's going to grow you. He's going to take you to places that you never imagined going, talking to people you never imagined talking to. Truth of the matter is this. Sin complicates your life. Amen? Let's have a big amen on that. Sin complicates your life. But so 
do the blessings of God. So does being all in, being obedient to God. Noah followed the will of God. He was all in. It started bad with people uh, making fun of him. It got even worse being caged in by animals on an ark. You ever notice that some of the best things in life kind of complicate your life? Let's think about this for a minute. It's kind of a good trail to follow. Some of you have a great job, but it consumes you, doesn't it? It just wears you thin, and you're glad when the pay comes, but every day, you know, it's a struggle. There's this person who isn't happy, and this machine that isn't working, and this seller who backed out, or this person who should buy but won't buy, and this sinner that ought to get saved, in my, my case. You know, there's just always something that complicates in your profession. Let's think about this. You know, getting married. God, God preparing a bride for you or a groom for you, and you jumping in the fray with a hearty I do, which is another word for all in. Getting married complicates your life. <laughs> and, you know, you're sitting there with your spouse and you're like half nodding. But, I mean, guys, you get married, you realize you've married a complex creature. Yeah. You, get, you get ready in five minutes, she takes two hours. You know, you... She's got a whole wardrobe of clothes. She goes in when she gets ready to get dressed. and She spends some time primping and, and, and putting on her face and, and, you know, just making sure that her handbag matches her, 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 her outfit and, and that her shoes and purr. I don't know what all they do. I, it's kind of out of my realm of knowledge. But I do know what guys do. We reach in the closet. We pull out a shirt. We sniff it, and if it don't smell too bad, we got, we got our wardrobe. Now, you married a complex person, and you got no clue what's going on in her mind. You got no clue what she's thinking, and when she tells you what you're thinking, what she's thinking, you still don't know. It's complicated. Amen, guys? Ladies... Ladies, within an hour, you're thinking, what have I done? I have married so beneath me, it's like I've gotten into another species. And, and we're just hard to train, aren't we? You know, I, I had a, a, a Cooper puppy, male Cooper, that's his name, Cooper. What is he, Phil? A Yorkie. Must be a complicated situation. This, this dog is three. And he still goes outside to have fun and comes inside to pee. <laughs> now, I'm believing if he was a female, he wouldn't be that way, right? And, and, and it complicates your life. And I can name a hundred other things. What about this? Kids, good golly. You're so happy. 
when they come, I mean, everyone's there. They're taking pictures of it. You take Amanda and, and John Todd both have their first kids now, and they're snapping pictures. I've got a thousand pictures of Amanda, but after that, I didn't hardly take any of the boys. Because you understand that this little bundle of joy came with complications. You don't have time to take pictures anymore. You're, you're breaking up fights. You're wondering what you were thinking. Why isn't there a limit of one in America? It complicates your life. Sin and the blessings of God. I promise you. If you get all in, Satan will go to work. I see it here in the church. You know, we're growing and blowing and we're doing great things for God. And it gets complicated, doesn't it? Changes come and changes are always complicated. And, and, and there's growth problems and we need new space and new personnel and new teachers and it's complicated. Sometimes we mess up because of the complications of growth. But every good thing that God will do in your life, though it may have complications, will have amazing rewards. Amazing rewards. So here's the bottom line, guys. I've tried to give you both sides of the equation. But God, I believe, is speaking to your heart right now. And he's saying this. How much will you allow me to inconvenience your life? You see, all of us have a pattern that we're living by. All of us have taken certain steps. and All of us have things that are important every day in our life. Things that... that are kind of idols in our life because they're above God. All of us. And now God says, put me on the throne. God says, you may have to stop some of this to make me Lord. God says, I may have to inconvenience you a bit. Change your schedule change your heart. I may have to inconvenience you. How much are you willing to allow God to inconvenience you? How much? You see, I think the way that you determine to answer that question could possibly determine where you spend eternity. Could possibly determine how significant your life is here on this earth. And will determine how much joy you have. How much peace you have. How much will you allow God to inconvenience your life? You know what seems awfully inconvenient to me? That God might ask one of you or two or more of you to step out from your seat in just a moment and come and kneel at this altar publicly asking God to change you. 
Or he might ask you to come and pray for someone in your life who's burdened and broken, who's lost, who's struggling with a health issue, and you have to be inconvenienced to come here and be obedient to God. Inconvenient to fall on your knees or to come and take me by the hand and say, I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Inconvenient, but so worth it. How much will you allow God to inconvenience your life. Would you pray with me? Father, your presence is in this place right now. Your spirit engaging us, convicting us, encouraging us. Folks here with a lot of unsettled questions in their life, Sin that needs to be confessed. Choices that need to be made. New life that needs to be claimed. Lots of inconveniences. But right here and right now, Father, we realize that our way is not the best way. That a life lived without purpose, a life lived where we don't follow you, is futile and so we jump to the place of obedience where we are all in all in so we can see what you'll do in our lives right now we commit ourselves to you right now in Jesus name and I ask you to stand with me. And I want you to consider where you are, where God wants you to be. The blessings that you're missing, the salvation that you're missing, the hope that you're missing. Come kneel, come pray, come share in communion, come trust Jesus.